Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. And today, we have an incredibly special guest joining us. Senior NBA Draft Analyst for BasketballNews.com. Founded his own scouting company, um, Babcock Hoops. Mr. Matt Babcock, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm also doing fantastic. So kind of to start off this podcast, again, I'm incredibly honored that you agreed to come on this podcast. I've been following your work for a long time, just as I've been following other draft analysts like Chad Ford, Sam Vecini. Why don't you kind of give my audience a little bit of a background in terms of your start in the basketball industry? Obviously, you have family ties long to this game. Why don't you sort of give my audience a little bit of a background? First of all, thanks for having me. I, you know, I follow your guys' stuff too, and uh, you guys do a great job. And I love, you know, chatting with some like-minded people. So thank you very much. Uh, to give a little bit of my background, I'll try and make a, a long story short. I was born into a basketball family. Uh, my dad, and my two uncles, have all worked in the NBA. Uh, my oldest uncle uh, started in like the mid '70s. Uh, they've all been general managers. I got two cousins that are coaching staffs in the NBA. Um, grew up as a player, uh, thought I was going to be a coach or get into scouting right out of college. Um, somehow fell into the, the sports agency business. I worked as an agent for 10 years for a number of companies and worked for a number of players in the NBA and internationally. Uh, and after 10 years, decided that I wanted to get back closer to my roots uh, and, and kind of follow, get, get back following in more of my, my family's footsteps uh, and start scouting and my own company, Babcock Hoops. I wrote a little bit for Sports Illustrated. And then uh, uh, just a little over a year ago, I, I joined BasketballNews.com to run all of their draft coverage and, and scouting co- coverage for that matter at various levels. And here I am. So to start off today, first off, um, Matt and his team just released their latest edition of the 2022 NBA Draft Big Board. Hot off the presses before we did this podcast. I planned to kind of go back and compare big board rankings with your board that you put out about a week and a half ago. Now we have a fresh set of rankings. Obviously, this draft class, everything is constantly changing and moving. And this has certainly been one of my tougher classes to evaluate up to this point. Obviously, I I haven't been in the industry as long as some of the other professionals out there. I've been trying my hand at this, both doing private work and now some of the public work I've been doing for about 11 years. But in that 11 years, yeah, I can't I can't recall a tougher class to try and piece around and evaluate up to this point. What have been some of your impressions overall about the class map before we jump into some specific players? Well, I mean, I think I think it's hard every year, you know, especially you know, we're always looking uh, to evaluate and pinpoint young guys. I mean, the bulk of the first round is usually freshmen. And yep. you know, coming out of high school, I mean, I think, you know, sometimes you get misled one way or another. And, and so I always, you know, take the approach of, hey, we've got a lot of work to do. And don't be afraid mm-hmm. to budge off your, your initial impressions of players. They change and they should. Guys guys grow and they develop or they struggle with the transition from high school to college. And, um, you know, it's, it's a really hard thing to do, especially getting it right early. So we, we always take the approach of let's not, let's not worry about being the first to get there. Let's make sure that we do the necessary work by draft night, that we've got all of our bases covered and we know what's going on. I think we're definitely going to have a mix of players that, that you and I had, had talked about evaluating on this podcast. We're going to have a nice mix of mainly guys who have really risen up and have proven themselves, certainly up your board. And, and one guy in particular, 
Bryce McGowan's, who we'll get to eventually in this podcast. He has slid a little bit down my board. You guys have kind of held steady through some of the guys projected in your late first round and top 30 on your board. But a guy who was number five on your previous update to your board is still number five on this update to your board. Benedict Matherin out of Arizona, the wing. He's averaging 18.9 points per game, six and a half rebounds, shooting over 50% from the field, almost 39% from three-point range, and nearly 80% from the free-throw line, has really emerged as one of the better two-way type of guard slash wing prospects in this draft class. We kind of knew watching him last year, Matt, that he was going to be one of these guys who could attack the basket on closeouts. Obviously, he was going to be a transition threat due to his athleticism, athleticism his athletic profile. And then open spot-up shooting was something we knew he could do last year. But this year, he's doing a lot more off the bounce. He's able to make a lot of live dribble passes that he wasn't at least looking to make last year. And so those are some of the new facets to his game that he's been able to show us in his sophomore year. What really led to his ascent up your board and, and, and why has he remained the top five guy, despite some of the other surprising plays for a few guys that we'll mention like Keegan Murray and Johnny Davis. Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, I watched him closely last year. I mean, for one, I'm an Arizona alumni, so I'm always wanting to like, <laughs> but, um, you know, kid aside, I, you know, I don't let, let that affect you know, my evaluation. And, um, you know, last year I, I wanted, I wanted to jump all in with Matherin and, and, and I, and I did really like him. I, I talked with their coaches and I, and I did suggest that he go back to school. Not that he went back to school because I told him to, but, um, you know, I was wanting him to make the jump up and show that he had a little bit more to his game rather than just being a simple three and D straight line driver, finisher in transition. And I, I still think he has his limitations, you know, his ball skills, I think are just okay. Uh, but you know, from what I understand about the kid, he, he's such a worker and he's clearly passionate about what he's doing. He's really expanded uh, his offensive game, despite still having you know, questionable ball skills. He's yep. got some stuff in, in between games, got a great runner. Uh, and, he, and he's the biggest thing for me, I think mentally he just got it. He's an alpha dog. Yeah, I was down there, watched uh, them play in Tucson against Cal Baptist. And uh, just his floor presence, and you know, he, he came through the arena. You could, you could feel him being the top dog. And I, I think he just screams big-time players. And so, I mean, I like, you know, if we're breaking him down from a traditional scouting board standpoint, I like all the tools that he brings to the table, but I like his mental makeup too, which is, which is a huge part of, you know, of an evaluation, especially if we're talking about potentially, you know, top, top-level guys. Speak a little more on that mental makeup aspect for a second, Matt, because I don't think well, when you're just kind of scrolling through draft Twitter and you're seeing everybody's rankings and I, I don't know how much of that necessarily factors into other analysts reports on these guys. It's, it's a big thing for me and it's something I try and tweet about whenever I can, but from, from a pro experienced professional such as yourself, why don't you talk to my audience a little more about the mental makeup side and why that's so important for someone who is projected to be like a top five, top six pick in the draft. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, we talk about a lot, lot about, uh, you know, alpha dogs, right? And I think yeah. there's definitely a place and value for, for having guys with that personality type. They have to be good enough to be an alpha dog in my book, though. I mean, you, you, you need, you're building a team, you need a mix of guys that, that are, are going to be leaders and, and, you know, drive, drive the train, but you also need complimentary guys. I think with Matherin, where he really, uh, separate himself in my book was he proved to me that he's got enough to his game and, and the mental makeup of, okay, that gets him over the hump and potentially gives him the chance of being, you know, if it clicks for him and one of the top players on a decent team in the next handful of years. Uh, whereas before I, I kind of got back and forth with him 
you know, I, I didn't last year. I did not see the, the alpha dog trait in him as much as I, as I did this year. Um, and so the combination of him just showing it a little bit more offensively and that, that he's got the mental makeup as a worker and, you know, all the stuff he brings to the court, uh, just, just you know, overall toughness, just to kind of put it simply. Yeah, I love the, the combination of him and Tabellis on the court together. The way that they fight for loose balls, they make the hustle plays, they set the tone on both ends. And maybe they're not the most creative passers in the world, but they're willing ball movers when, when they see the open man. So those are some of the, the team aspects I love that, that Matherin certainly contributes to. What do, you, what do you think his upside is in the NBA? Because usually when, when we talk about projecting somebody like top six, top seven, you want to give them a lofty upside too. Maybe they're like the second best player on a really good team for a scoring perspective, or maybe when you're talking about in the top three, not necessarily branching out to the top five or seven, but maybe they do hit that level of being the top offensive option on a really good team. What do you think? Matherin's upside is is it maybe getting closer to that top two top one option on a team or is it more of just a, a complimentary player to an offense but he's really good at what he brings to the table so maybe that is enough to to draft him in the top seven top five yeah when we're projected players we we always try to talk about okay can they be a top two or three guy or whatever role on a good team I mean being a good player on a bad team like I mean who cares right I mean that's not what anybody's trying to accomplish uh, yeah. so with Matherin I think upside wise. He's got a chance of being a top two or three player on a good team. Uh, to give you a specific you know, comparison to a player, I kind of see him, and this, again, this is upside if everything clicks and he continues to develop, uh, a bigger, better shooting Victor Oladipo. Uh, you know, despite his injuries the last few years, I mean, it, it, him in his prime was a very good player. That's kind of how I see him upside-wise, maybe being a little bit better than Oladipo if, if it all clicks. Well, Victor Oladipo was a top two pick in, in his class. So if that's the type of player that Matherin could one day become, I think a team would be incredibly happy with getting that level of a player, top five, top seven pick. So let's go to another guy, Keegan Murray for Iowa, who on your last board, he was 14. That's actually where I have him on my latest big board update. You guys have actually moved him now to number eight. And Obviously, if you look at his stats, I mean, when I saw some of his advanced numbers a few weeks ago, when I was trying to, to get ready to talk about him on the first edition uh, of my big board podcast, it, the numbers made me fall out of a chair, man. I'm, I'm certain that they, they probably gives you the same effect. 20, almost 25 points per game now currently, almost eight rebounds. He's in the 99th percentile in terms of total offensive output, shooting almost 60% from the field, a 67.2 shooting percentage, and a 42 and a half PR. That's great for conversation, but more so with Murray, I've wanted to go back and watch a little more of the tape and he's incredibly effective with what he does. There's a reason why he rates out so highly on a number of different play types for synergy, but he doesn't necessarily blow me away with any one thing I see on film. Like I never see something from him other than maybe a few moments defensively where I think he's been a little better in one-on-one -on -one matchups and moving his feet on the perimeter. But there's not really one thing that jumps out to me on tape to scream like, all right, this guy's worthy of a top six, to top eight pick. Yet you see more and more people such as yourself and your staff move him into that range. So why did you guys feel now was the time to, to really make that jump for him in the top eight of your rankings? I, mean, I agree with you in the sense that I mean he's not you know necessarily quote unquote sexy prospect. I mean there's not one thing that jumps out to you like hey this guy this guy is high profile. 
Uh, he just does a little bit of everything, especially in today's game where he's just a versatile. I mean, I see him as like a versatile stretch four. He's got a motor that doesn't stop. I think he shoots the ball well enough that he's going to be able to stretch it. He, he hasn't he hasn't hit uh, it, it, such a high rate as I you know would have maybe hoped. Uh, but he's mm-hmm. producing at such a high level, which I, I'm actually not one that leans on production too much for, for college players or international players. I, I really don't like looking at the metrics too much uh, when evaluating for the draft. Um, but I mean, he just he, he, he's he's steady. He's bringing it every single night, every single possession. I think the safety in him, as far as potential being a, a solid pro, my confidence level is just so high. And I think eight is on the high side for him. Uh, but you know, we're looking at a lot of freshmen that are really up and down. And at yep. this point, I'm just I'm feeling really comfortable with him that he's going to be you know mid to late lottery type guy. Uh, you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to the season ending and shifting it to a mock draft rather than a big board. It's yep. a little easier to pinpoint where guys are actually going to fall. Uh, you know, doing the big board rankings, I mean, I, I think it's significantly harder. So that's a great point about buying in the production, but not necessarily putting too much stock into the numbers. I kind of usually feel the same way. However, this is one of those more unusual draft classes, in my opinion, you alluded to. There's so many guys who are up and down this year. Sometimes you you have to lean a little bit more into the production in your evaluation. But you talk about Keegan Murray, maybe eight being on the high side for him. If this were a draft class where we'd see some of the other freshmen who have been struggling this year, maybe they wouldn't be struggling. Maybe you're a little more confident betting in that upside, projecting them like lottery down to like that that mid-first round. If that were the case in this class, would Keegan Murray, you think, in, in a more normal draft year, be ranked around this range, or would he be like that late lottery to mid-first round? Yeah, I mean, I, I still think there's a chance he, he might slip just by default. There, there's a number of guys we're keeping mm-hmm. the pulse on. I mean, A.J. Griffin's one, and we have him at 10, which, uh, yeah, which I, I mean, I think is, is high because, I mean, the sample size of him producing is still pretty small. Um, he, he's one that we're projecting just upside-wise. He's at least there, and I, I can see him moving up even higher. Uh, some of these guards, I'm, I'm really high on. I mean, J.D. Davison is playing yep. against, or, uh, excuse me, playing behind some veteran guards at Alabama. I think he's got top ten talent. I mean, I love Ty Ty Washington, Kenny Chandler, even though he's a little small. Um, you know, I, I think there's a number of guys like that that can easily move ahead because they they do have probably a little more upside than a guy like Keegan Murray. Uh, but this this is where we're at today. You know, but uh, we got we got time to sort out, unfortunately. But but betting on and ultimately drafting a player who is projected to be a solid starter in the NBA for years to come, like maybe he doesn't have the same upside as one of the guards you alluded to, but or, or even one of the guards right below him that we're going to talk about in a second. But getting that solid lever contributor who you know is more likely to bet on playing playoff minutes sooner in his career, maybe than necessarily later. Maybe that is the type of guy that you want to value with a top eight pick when, when you factor out factor in some of the class is just that much weaker at this point. Now, is that probably safe to say as well? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, name we bring up a lot is uh, Shane Battier, you know, who, who was super high profile coming into his draft had, you know, never really developed into a star, that guy played in the NBA for a long time. He won championship rings. He just he, he was a major contributor to winning games. And it's just one of those things you juggle, like the upside and, and the sure thing of like, okay, do we think a guy like Keegan Murray, even though they're not the exact same player, but could he fill a role and have a career like a Shane Battier? 
you know, we, we, we need to value that on some level or another. It's, it's, a, it's a challenging thing to juggle, uh, but it's something that we constantly do when we're looking at each player case by case. So meteoric rises off draft boards. Um, and, and I watched your Q&A video that you did for basketballnews.com a, a few days ago. But Johnny Davis is that one guy who has come literally out of nowhere, has skyrocketed up boards. You guys have him at number nine. I've seen people have him as high as top five, top four up to this point, And it's incredibly early on still, as you said earlier in the process. But, I mean, this guy, Matt, he is destroying everyone he's facing. And people are sharing stat lines now where his games against higher level top rated team competition are even a jump above games against middling level competition. So this is a guy that's clearly made for the big time. He brings it in the brightest moments. 22.3 points per game, 7.4 rebounds, 45% from the field, 33% from three-point range. But he has a lot of metrics per synergy where he rates out as, as good to very good to excellent on a very healthy shot diet. And the thing about him, he is that tough, tough shot maker that you would really look to draft in, in the top 10. Like he, People can look at some of his efficiencies and his percentages and may not be quote-unquote blown away, but when you flip on the film, the types of shots that he's taking and then making, I mean, it, it's it's absolutely absurd. And he's one of those guys, Matt, when, when you reference the, the the mental makeup to some of these prospects, it's not just that he's tough-minded and you can see that from his f film, but it's also when you watch the team around him, everybody can kind of point to him and say, we have that guy. We have a chance to really go and win some big-time basketball games this year. So why don't you talk about where you guys are at with, with Johnny Davis right now? Maybe if you're considering putting him even a little bit higher when another rank comes out, but where where's the temperature check at for you guys right now? What did you really love to see from Johnny Davis? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I agree with everything you're saying. I mean, it's hard not to like Johnny Davis. I mean, he's just, uh, you know, he seems like he's got it. He's rolling. He's, he's producing at a high level. He's hitting tough shots. He's got good size. He's tough, competitive. I mean, check so many so many boxes. I think where I'm at with him and where I've been a little bit slow to warm, it's not necessarily disagreeing with anybody. It's just I haven't done the proper level of work that I normally do on prospects to, to get to a comfort level. Uh, where I'm willing to put my neck on the line. I mean, I, I, I already feel a little vulnerable, even though a lot of people have him you know, as high as five. Uh, I haven't seen him in person. I mean, last year, you know, I, I didn't even know who he was. You know, he's uh, <laughs> just one of these guys, I mean, that, that jumped so quickly to put him so high. Um, it's just me being careful. And I mean, I, I understand that if people wanted to criticize me uh, you know, for my, my, my protocols as far as scouting, but um, I take pride in doing the necessary level of work or the necessary level in my book of work, uh, you know, before I come to a conclusive evaluation, I'm just not there with him yet. And so me putting him on at, at number nine is me, you know, going out on a limb, uh, you know, for, for me and my way I operate, I, I am going to see him uh, at Nebraska versus Bryce McGowan's in a few weeks. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing the person. I, I, just, I feel like I have a hard time fully getting there with a prospect. Until I've got, you know, got in front of him again, feel for his body movements, his personality, not as much breaking down play by play, uh, but just getting a feel for what the kid's all about and you know, talking to some of the folks on, on his coaching staff, stuff like that. Um, so I, I'm still, I'm still open-minded uh, as far as where he's going to land, you know, ultimately uh, it's, you know, it's a work in progress. For everyone listening, 
I'm recording this podcast on Monday, January 10th. This is usually a night where I go and record with our No Ceilings cohort, Tyler Rucker. We usually run through some of the points I make in my morning dunk column that comes out every Monday. The biggest story that I wanted to comment on this week, obviously, was Johnny Davis. I'm, I'm dubbing this Johnny Davis week here at Draft Deeper because I, I, I kind of wanted to wait to do a deeper dive on him as well, Matt, and I wanted to see if maybe some of this would, would, would sizzle out. Maybe he wouldn't stay this hot and he wouldn't be putting up these numbers consistently week to week to week to week, but he just keeps doing it. So at some point, I got to just hit the brakes and say, all right, we got to talk about this guy at length. Like, there's no, there's no avoiding the conversation anymore, and – I look at I look at the top three, the, the general consensus top three of Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, and Paolo Bancaro in some order for for everyone. They don't they don't stand out to me as those type of impact level players in the sense that his their teammates are looking at them right now and saying because we have this guy we're going to keep stockpiling wins against tough teams in the NCAA, but Johnny Davis seems to be that one guy who is quite literally carrying his team, not just offensively, but even, even defensively. And I'll be really curious, Matt, when you write about some of your thoughts after you see him up close defensively, I mean, he has so much offensive responsibility, but he's also going out there and guarding more nights than not the other team's best player. So it, it's rare, at least in my opinion, to see a player at the college level take on so much of a workload and be excelling at it at such a great rate. If you take that into account, Matt, are, are you open to seeing Johnny Davis rise at some point and maybe challenge even that quote-unquote top three that everybody's pegged in this draft? Because I, I actually asked the question, and obviously I'm not there yet, but I think at this point it, it's really becoming a fair question to ask, and I just have this feeling at some point somebody's going to put Johnny Davis number one on their board. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm open-minded to anything. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I really tried my best uh, to go into evaluating guys open mind and be as open and honest about how I walk out about the guy. Uh, I, I'm not expecting to, to get there with Johnny Davis, to be completely honest with you. Um, mm-hmm. But but I, he's one of those guys I, I, I do really want to like. I mean, you know, a guy that's so tough and competes, uh, I mean, how, how do you not root for him just as a basketball fan, yep. right? And so, um, you know, from an upside standpoint, I, I'm not seeing it on that level, at least not yet. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. Jabari Smith, Vancaro, uh, and, and Holmgren, I, I think they're very unique prospects um, that have a unique level of, of upside as well. Uh, and so, I mean, it's hard it's hard to overlook um, that significant upside. And with Johnny, you know, and, and, you know sort of to your point, uh, it's something that I, I am always careful of is when you get these guys that are, you know, blooming college stars that are put in a situation where they're playing with, you know, about as much confidence as they possibly can, their school is rallied behind them, their coaches, their teammates, uh, it's easy to make tough shots or easier to make tough shots when you've got the full green light and you feel like you're the man. Mm-hmm. I think it's harder to have that translate to a limited role and still continue hitting shots like that. Uh, and so I, I, am, I am being careful with Johnny Davis on that. And I'm not saying that that's the case, uh, but that's a question I have for myself as I, I continue to evaluate him. How much is, is this him fighting that that confidence wave? You know, and um, I don't know yet. I, I, honestly, I mean, I'm watching just like everybody else. I mean, it's, he's put it on the show, and it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. And, and he's he is a dang good player. I mean, what yeah. I do like about him, similar to what we're talking about with Keegan Murray, is my confidence level that this guy is going to be a solid NBA player is about as high as it can be. It's just 
how how good is how good is he actually? How much upside does he actually have? And that's where I'm, I'm still kind of weighing it out. Because like this guy, you know, I, I mentioned in, in a previous interview, he, he reminds me of Aaron Aflalo. And you're probably going nuts right now. <laughs> but but hear, hear me out. And this, the reason I bring up Aaron Fly, I had a lot of experience with Aaron Fly. I worked for his agency. I, you know, I got to know him at the same stage when he was at UCLA. Um, and Aaron was a really good college player. He played for Ben Howland and a defensive-minded coach that really controlled the offense. I think Aaron averaged close to 17 points per game on a really good team with three, four NBA players. But they're wired the same way where, like, they weren't, like, incredible athletes. They both had, you know, about 6'5". Uh, just tough-nosed, two-way players. I, I do think Johnny's got a lot more to his game offensively. But, like, I see a follow being the guy if, if Johnny doesn't make that big leap. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I think Aaron played in the league for 10 years. He had a handful of years where he averaged, like, 15, 16 points per game. And so it's not as big a knock as it might might come you know come out at first. As, um, so I'm just trying to get, get a grip of how much upside does he actually have. But I, I really do like him. Speaking of sticking to your guns a little bit on evaluations, Matt, I, I loved when you guys slotted in Musa Diabate in the top 30 of your board. You still have him there. I love it, man, because I watch, I watch his game, and we talk about some of the other younger freshmen that you could possibly bet on or take a flyer on late in the first round. You flip on this kid's tape against North Carolina and you see kind of what it could look like when the full package comes together. And obviously he's young, he's still developing. That Michigan team, I think, is is battling its own set of demons. I mean, Caleb Houston stock has been back and forth up in the air. Everybody's still trying to, to mix wall and mesh wall together. But I mean, his per 40 number, 16.6 points per game, 11 and a half rebounds. 1.2 steals, 2.3 blocks. It's his defensive versatility, his ability to be a playmaker on that end, a, a, a finisher in common half-court sets for a big man, along with that that budding jump shot that you see when it is going down for him. I mean, it just opens up a whole dimension to his game offensively as well as his team. So why don't you talk to me, about Matt, about some of your evaluations with Diabate up to this point, why you've stuck to your guns and held him in this range on your board, and, and where you think he'll probably end up as we – get further on in, in the draft process. Yeah, I first saw uh, Diabate in person uh, when he was in high school at IMG Academy. I watched him at Geico Nationals, and uh, I was really impressed with him there. Uh, his physical tools, his mobility, his, his motor, uh, I mean, are all things that I really like. And, and I think the key thing for him to go along with the physical tools uh, is his agility. I mean, his ability to kind of switch yeah. out and hedge aggressively on the perimeter. I, I think he's a guy that can legitimately play – you know, the five and the four in the NBA, which, I mean, I think essentially doubles his value, you know, if, if you will. Um, at Michigan, I was actually at that North Carolina game. He was, he was terrific. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I think it was a point where I think Juwan was trying to kind of like ease him in and, and kind of, yep. you know, have, have him kind of tiptoe into a, a larger role. And, and Diabate just, I think, gave him no choice. And he, you just throw him out there, you start him, you play major minutes. And offensively, he's so much further ahead than I was expecting him to be at this stage. And I just really like him. I, you know, I don't know if he's ever going to offensively be a guy you, you could um, depend, a, you know, depend on him for a ton of offense. I do think he's going to be able to do enough to go along with his motor and his versatility defensively uh, to be potentially a really good starter in the NBA. I, I'm excited about him. And um, you know, again, I mean, bigs have lost value. I think his, his combination of being able to play the four and the five and, and kind of set the tone with, with his energy 
uh, I, I think still holds a lot of value. Let's say, even though he's only playing about 20, 21 minutes a night, but let's say when, when he does get on the floor and he starts knocking down more and more of those jumpers and then not, not even threes, but just like the, those foul line extended jumpers that especially that we saw some of him knock down in that North Carolina game. If he starts hitting more of those shots in regularity and you continue to see all the defensive flashes that you point out, I, I just feel like he, even if he does only end up becoming a play finisher in the NBA, just the type of versatility he offers defensively, his ability to battle on the boards, his his playmaking on the defensive end, like that's the type of big that why while you make a correct point and that the NBA is souring away from bigs to a certain extent, that is the type of big man that the NBA is looking for when you factor in his athleticism. So is that maybe the biggest key to him staying in the back end of the first is just continuing to show that that jumper, or do you think he can even remain there even if he's not knocking down more of those jump shots? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm pumped. I, I've seen enough, um, you know, for for a young big guy that's that's playing. Even though their their team's struggling, they're playing on a very talented team with depth. Um, I mean, he's able to, to step in and show that he can shoot a little bit. I mean, I think he hit a three in that North Carolina game, and he, he's shown that he's got a nice touch. So to be able to do that in limited minutes uh, at this point in his career is it, telling me there's a good chance he can be a guy that do everything you want defensively for a guy that can play the four and the five, uh, be a rim runner, finish around the rim and just be able to shoot it enough to stretch it. Because yeah, you don't necessarily need to be a knockdown guy to stretch the floor. You just have to be able to shoot it at a high enough clip that they have to guard you. That's what provides the, the floor spacing. And I, yeah. I do think um, there, there should be hope that he can do that. So moving on to someone who I said at the top, I did get to see in person this past weekend against Rutgers, Bryce McGowan's. I, I wanted to make the trip because I wanted to get a better read on him in person as far as his body is concerned and how I feel I can project out to how he's going to fill out physically. I'm confident in that area. I like the body, even though he's only listed at 175 pounds. He has one of those frames, you know, especially in the upper body. He's going to be able to fill out just fine. Um, The thing with McGowan's, though, is that he's projected as a three-level scorer at six foot seven, who can come into the NBA score from all three levels. But the numbers and the production certainly haven't been there. But as you alluded to earlier, Matt, you can't just take the numbers 100% as one of the only things you go by and not factor in enough of what you see in person or on the tape. And when you flip on the tape from a scoring standpoint, and especially what I watched in person, he's one of those guys who can almost effortlessly get to the basket. He's not a great finisher when he gets there, but he's a good enough finisher. He can look for contact. He gets to the foul line a lot, which is why I wanted to bet on him. So early on in this process, I had him all the way up at 15 on my first board, but I dropped him. I did drop him because of some of those production fall-offs. And when he doesn't have the ball in his hands looking to score, he doesn't seem as engaged as you would want him to be. He doesn't, doesn't seem like he he's always fighting in the same way as he does when he wants to try and get to the line and score. It seems like that's really what he's wired to do right now. It's not that he can't do other things on the defensive end. It's not that he can't make a play. It's not that he can't find somebody open when they're in his lane of vision, but it's just that he's so wired to score. And when he's not doing that thing at a high level, I think it is easier for teams to knock him down their boards, despite if everything does hit right for him, maybe we don't look back and say that there's 14 or 15 other guys in this class who ended up being better for him. So you guys have him, you guys had him at 26 in your previous ranking. You still have him at 26. 
what's your kind of temperature check on, on Bryce McGowan's and, and what would you like to see from him over the rest of the year to, to maybe vault him back up into the top 20 of the board? I mean, he, he's definitely an upside prospect. You know, he's a young freshman, uh, and I think there, there's clear-cut pros and cons. Uh, I mean, with, with the pros, he's got he's got great size for his style of play. I mean, he's listed at six foot seven, uh, and so for a six foot seven guy to be able to do you know create so much off off the dribble and, and also you know shoot with range. I mean, he's, he's shooting at a low clip, but he's uh, I mean, he's proven that he's got range. And so I think now getting into the cons. He needs to get stronger. So now all of a sudden, yep. if he gets stronger, he's able to use his creative ability and his length to finish. So like that's one big big issue with his lack of uh, efficiency. Is he's not able to finish plays, but he does have tools to potentially be able to, right? Um, and then the same thing with the shooting. Um, you know, he's, he's clearly a wired score. He's a tunnel vision score. Um, I mean, there, there could be an argument made that he's got a little bit of selfishness in him. Um, you know, but... He has proven to be that he, he can shoot with range, but now if you improve his shot selection, there's upside to, to now turn some of his weaknesses into strengths and you can really kind of piggyback them with what he, you know, his, his, uh, his natural tools as far as length, ball handling ability, creation skills. Uh, so upside guy, I mean, I, I totally get it why he might be polarizing because uh, he's, he's far from the finished product. I'm just intrigued with with his upside. So am I, and I don't, I don't want to be – out on him whatsoever. He's one of these guys where if I am making an upside pick at the end of the first round, I'm 100% looking his way because if he does continue to physically mature and develop three level scores at his size, I mean, you've been, been doing this for much longer than I have, Matt. They, they, they don't grow on trees. They don't come around every single day to, to the level that he could eventually hit. You mentioned Sometimes he might come across as a little selfish. I know on social media, even even today after my column came out, I was I was reminded, not that I didn't know, but I was reminded that this Nebraska team is not very good. And he doesn't have a lot of offensive counterparts next to him who can also create their own shot reliably on a consistent basis. So maybe do you feel like there's been a little too much pressure on him from that standpoint? And maybe that's why he hasn't been his best self. Cause like when, when he's just kind of spaced in the floor, he's left open in the corner. Like he can knock down shots off, off a catch and shoot. Like he's, he's not, it, it's not that he needs the ball in his hands to score all the time. He's proven that he can score the ball, you know, w- without having the ball in his hands all the time. So maybe is that one of those things that we've read into a little too much? And if he was in a different environment where he didn't have to constantly make everything happen for the offense, maybe we'd be having a different conversation. Yeah, no, sure. And I think it's a really challenging thing to do uh, when you're looking at guys' roles. I mean, we talked about already with, with Johnny Davis, right? He, he is the man at Wisconsin. Yeah. How, how would he be at Duke? You know, or, or you know, we can pick up a number of players and they kind of have them mismatch, uh, mix and match where they're, where they're at and where their production levels be different. Probably, right? And so I, I always try and look at every evaluation case by case. And um, that's why I really try not to put too much stock in the metrics. I mean, I use it as a tool to kind of get a grip of what the questions should be when we're evaluating these guys. Yeah, McGowan's team's not very good. I mean, his brother going down with injury definitely didn't help. Um, but he's got, you know, like I said, I mean, it's upside all the way with him when discussing him, uh, you know, on record and, and behind closed doors with our staff. I mean, we see all the issues. Uh, but, I mean, are they issues that we can, you know, a team can correct? I, I think so. I mean, I yep. think his body, I think he's got a frame. I do think he can add weight, like functional weight and help him with uh, – you know, finish around the rim and, and to the rim. Uh, and then shot selection, 100%. I mean, that's coaching right there. I mean, you can, you can coach a player to learn how to take a better shot. 
So you and I are both still on McGowan's Islands. I love it. That is one island I'm, I'm not going to leave entirely throughout this whole process. Whether he can creep back up a little bit more will remain to be seen. But either way, I think that he does have that long-term play of a Tier 3, a starter caliber score in the NBA 100%. The last guy that I wanted to talk about does seem like another one of those upside plays, Jeremy Sohan at Baylor, who... If you watch some Baylor games earlier in the year, he had a few moments where he stood out on the tape, but his big game where he came out was against Iowa State, and he did virtually everything you would want him to do on the floor per 40 minutes. And he's another one of those guys. He's only playing like 21, 22 minutes a night, but per 40, he's averaging 15 points, 11 rebounds, and almost four assists per game, while being another one of those defensive playmakers, particularly on the perimeter, 2.1 steals and 1.3 blocks for 40 minutes and just looking at some of the defensive numbers per synergy, I don't always go back and look at some of the defensive numbers on there because obviously as you and I both know, Matt, there's no real perfect way to measure defense quantitatively, but just going back and looking at some of these, essentially everything you would want him to do on the perimeter defensively, he does at a high level. He's in the 65th percentile defending isolation, 79th percentile defending ball handlers and pick and roll. 97th defending spot-ups, 98th defending jumpers overall, and 96th defending catch-and-shoot shots. So he can take guys one-on-one. He closes out really well. He's a disruptive defender. This is the type of guy who I I had somebody text me privately and ask me, how high do you think he can climb? I'm like, dude, I'm not going to put a cap on it. (laughs) Especially in a class now where we're kind of just looking for guys to prove themselves and show enough examples on tape to where we go, all right, I'm a little more comfortable betting on this guy with a mid to late first round pick. I absolutely think he can climb up into the top 20 range. I have him 28 right now. You guys did have him and still have him at 27. Do you think that he's going to remain in that like 25 to 30 range matter? Do you think there's a great chance, especially with how well Baylor's playing, if he keeps getting opportunities to prove himself that he's going to take them and he's going to end up inside the top 20? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, expectation-wise, I think he's probably a mid to late first. I mean, you know, a guy that probably has a relatively wide range. I mean, 15 to 30, right? And so I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him at either end of the spectrum there. Um, a guy, you know, he's different than Diabate. Diabate is more of a big. Uh, yep. But similar in the sense that I think they check off, you know, a lot of the same boxes as, you know, the way the game's played right now. And uh, you put him at the four. He's you know, Like you said, he's, he's switchable on the perimeter. Uh, just very mobile for a guy with his frame, and, and his frame is big time. For for a true freshman, I think yep. he's got a chance of, of being very very impressive uh, physically. Uh, and then skill wise, I think he's showing enough that, that you should have some hope that he can develop into being a very versatile guy on both ends of the ball. Um, so yeah, we're we're really excited about him. Uh, my guy Derek Murray saw him recently in the last few weeks. I forget which game it was exactly, but it was at Baylor. Uh, I'm going to see them, uh, which I'm really excited about this game. Uh, Baylor at Alabama on the 29th. Yeah, there you so, go. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I've actually got a big, big week. So the 25th, I've got um, it's a bunch of guys we're talking about, too. So I see uh, Wisconsin at uh, Nebraska. So I'll see Johnny Davis and McGowan's. Uh, and then I've got a day off, and then I've got Purdue at Iowa. So I'll see Keegan Murray and Jaden Ivey and the Purdue boys. Um, and then I've got uh, Baylor at Alabama. So that'll be, that'll be a big, big week. Fingers crossed none of them get canceled. 
Yeah, really. That that that's a packed week. I hope you're able to to get to all of those games. Yeah, when I saw it on social media, when when Schmitz shared that that he couldn't get to the the Purdue Wisconsin game because of flight issues, I was like, damn man, that right. <laughs> that's a shame. That was one of the best games you probably could have been at all year. Yeah, but picking me up. I'm supposed to be in Europe right now, and I, I canceled my trip. And now he's out there rubbing in my face. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you 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 guys who truly do this for a living, all the travel that you guys do, God God bless you guys. Like I said to my girlfriend the other day, I'm like, if I really do get to make it in this business, like you better not hate me when I'm on the road constantly for yeah. for weeks on end. But um, my last question about Sohan, really quick, Matt, you, you did mention you think his frame is is big time. Do you think that? he could one day become like a small ball five type of player in the NBA, or do you think he's best suited and will remain best suited as one of those guys who's kind of trying to, to switch and guard four and down? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I see him primarily being a four uh, in, in, you know, in I guess what would be now a traditional modern day, you know, lineup. Obviously we've got some coaches that go extreme with their lineups, you know, extreme small ball. Um, yeah, I, I think I think you know he's got a frame that looks like he's going to be able to add significant amount of weight. He's not he's not thin right now. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think it's reasonable to think that he could spend some time with the five. Well, Matt, this podcast has truly been another great opportunity for me to have somebody on like yourself. As I said from the top, I really do appreciate when people such as yourself take the time to come on shows like mine. You, you guys, you guys like you, Seth now, Charlie, you guys don't have to do this, but you are kind enough to come on. So I truly appreciate you doing so. I guess my last question for you is that I, I, I like to think that I'm, I'm pretty good at what I do, but I also recognize that I'm far from where I want to be as an evaluator, as a scout in this business. So for myself, as well as some of my other members of the No Ceilings team and anybody out there listening, what are like one or two pieces of advice you can give me in, in terms of basketball scouting, things that I should really look for and take away as I keep trying to do this? Uh, I mean, a couple of things that come to mind just as far as my personal philosophies is one, I mean, we're, we're in a day and age where social media, um, you know, is such a key part of scouting. You know, we have so many guys that are doing it independently. Uh, I always make an effort to have a pulse of what the, the common narrative is uh, in terms of specific prospects, uh, but I, I try not to get kind of, uh, you know, trapped in, in a situation where I'm, I'm part of the group thinking. I like to have my own my own evaluations and not let it affect me too much. And so that's that's one uh, bit of advice that, that I would say is they have your own evaluations, do the proper level of work uh, so that you, you could you have your own opinion. Uh, so many people just get, get caught up in the group thinking with scouting these days. Uh, like for example, like my, my dad's with the Milwaukee Bucks. He won't even look at my big board because he doesn't want me to look at it. And uh, and he's he's old school, so I'm not saying that's necessarily right. Like that's sure. an example of like how he looks at it. Like he doesn't want to be influenced at all. He wants you know his own personal rankings uh, to be authentic and, and not not affected by any means. And so uh, I, I'm not as extreme as that, but uh, that, that'd be one bit of advice. Uh, other than that, I you know I, I would say I I think there needs to be a balance of uh, you know, watching film, looking at analytics, uh, gathering intel, and then seeing people, you know, players in person. It's got to be a balance of it all. And I think finding the right balance for you to be able to come to a conclusive evaluation on a player, that's something that I would make a conscious effort to figure it out. Like, what what is your own process uh, to get to the point where, where you feel confident in each and every evaluation? 
I'm so glad that I have been able to, to get on the road a little bit. Some of the work that I've done this year, I was on the road a little bit in previous years, but with everything that happened with COVID, it was, it was tough just sitting on the sideline trying to do this almost exclusively off film work. So thankful to be able to get some of the games that, that I am. I know I have a few circled coming up that I'm excited for. I'll be seeing Iowa and Wisconsin against Rutgers coming up as well as Michigan state. And then, um, I'll be seeing the G League Ignite team in person when they play Delaware. That will also be a fantastic opportunity for me. Some of those guys are are, are really in, intriguing. I guess a, a mini question for you, Matt. Have you heard any more buzz on Michael Foster for the G League Ignite? He seems like somebody who, the way he's producing at his age against grown men in the G League, I feel like at some point he's going to end up in top 30s on on more boards than not at some point through this process. Yeah, I mean, we've got him in the early second round, and I mean, all, I know all of his guys. They they uh, they give me a hard time thinking, you know, telling me that they think he should be higher. Like, like <laughs> anybody else, right? uh, but I mean, looking at other uh, big boards and mock drafts, um, hey, sorry about the noise, but doing some work on our um, <laughs> no worries. I mean, he's got talent. I think the big thing for him is he needs to grow as far as his basketball IQ and understanding how to use his tools. I think that's the big holdup a lot of scouts that are are negative or hesitant with him. Uh, it's, it's more about, is he playing the right way? I mean, there's no denying that he's, he's got incredible physical tools and raw talent. Uh, it's just, you know, how much do you trust, you know, his, his knowledge of the game? And is, is he going to buy in? Well, Matt, I've, I, like I said, I've, I've loved following your work for years. I certainly have loved everything that you guys have done for basketball news, the rest of your staff as well. I mean, Derek's awesome. Blake and Grant, I've really enjoyed reading a lot of their pieces. So, why don't you take this time to, and I, I'm sure that everyone is listening to my podcast, hell, they, they probably are looking at all of your content, reading everything you guys are writing, but just in case, why don't you take the time to plug everything that you and your staff are doing over at Basketball News? Yeah, I mean, I probably can't plug everything. I, I got my hands in a lot, but, but the main <laughs> thing is uh, basketballnews.com. Uh, yeah, follow our stuff. And then also, you know, Derek is working for a new group uh, on the side, Next Pro, uh, where he's essentially the, their lead analyst for, for high school. Uh, th those are the main things. And then uh, Tampa Bay Pro Combine, uh, we're all working on that. The combine that we put together last year, but we were actually we were brought in uh, to pick the players. I'm, I'm the co-chair of the uh, player selection committee with my uh, my good friend, Fran Priscilla. Um, so yeah, those, are, those are our main draft-related uh, you know, involvement. That's a big-time combine put together by yourself as well as Fran. Man, it'd be awesome. I, I would love to get Fran on, on the podcast one day and then pick his brain a little bit. But, again, Matt, thank you so much for coming on this episode of the show. And for everyone out there listening, thank you for all the support you've shown my podcast as well as the No Ceiling Substack Collective in general. If you aren't reading the Substack, it's easy, really easy to find, noceilings.substack.com. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. And stay tuned for more excellent draft content this week. I said it was Johnny Davis week, and I meant it. I'm going to be doing a big show with, with uh, one of my co-hosts over at No Ceilings, Tyler Metcalf. He's going to be coming on to talk about Johnny Davis, and I'll be doing big board updates and comparisons with Stephen Gillespie over at Draft Capital. So make sure you stay tuned the rest of this week. And throughout the draft cycle, again, thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.